Welcome to the Man Up to Cancer podcast. I'm Trevor Maxwell. I'm a stage four colon cancer survivor, and I've got a message for other men. You don't have to go through this alone. What does it mean to man up to cancer? It means reaching out instead of isolating. It means having the courage to accept help along the way. To me, manning up isn't just about being tough. It's about knowing that we're stronger and smarter as a pack than we are as lone wolves. Hey guys, welcome to the Man Up to Cancer podcast. Kellen is with me today. Hey Trevor. How are you doing, Kellen? I'm pretty good. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing going on in the world that would get anyone down these days. Oh, it's fantastic. Everything is happy. So we have David Dubin today. He is from Haworth, New Jersey, right outside of New York City. Uh, David, so besides being handsome and charming, David is here because he is a three-time cancer survivor. And he is without a doubt the leading advocate for people like me and David who have Lynch syndrome. And this is a genetic glitch that makes us more likely to develop cancer. Lucky yes. I'm going to say more about you, but let's say hi first. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well, man. How are you doing? <laughs> Why is this funny? Because I feel like we have as a society that we have to say good, but everybody's lying right now. <laughs> doing really? All right, I go it's been a rough couple of weeks. How much time do you have, David? I'm above average. <laughs> nice, nice. So David and his amazing wife, Robin, founded Alive and Kickin'. This is a foundation with a mission to improve the lives of individuals and families affected by Lynch syndrome and associated cancers through research, education, and screening. I should say that David loves soccer. He played at the collegiate level and has used that as a crossover to educate thousands of people about Lynch syndrome. So before we even get started, are you still rec league dominant with your soccer game? Unfortunately, I am not. Um, I still love the game. I can still play the game, but the... The recovery time is just so much longer now uh, after turning 50 and after all the surgeries. It Stuff just hurts. And are you so much of a soccer fan that being called soccer is not what we should be calling it? Should we be calling it football? Mm, no, I am, I am one of those stupid Americans that enjoys the game. <laughs> and uh, you can call it soccer, as I do. And I, I do get into... Um, you know, arguments with uh, my friends across the pond uh, when I call it soccer and they get upset because yeah. they call it football. Yep. On a serious note, as a person uh, with Lynch syndrome, battling my own cancer, mm. just on behalf of myself and and for my family, uh, I just want to say thank you for everything you've done for a long, long time for the Lynch syndrome community. Um, you're a rock star for us and I appreciate it. Always. So some of the people in our community that are aware of the Man Up to Cancer community or a part of it, they have heard of Lynch syndrome or they have it. Um, but many, many others are always asking us, you know, what is it? A lot of people don't know what it is. So let's, let's take a minute to just get that out of the way and explain it. You're asking me to do it. If you want to take a shot uh, since you're the OG. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> and of course, and because I do work in the genetic testing space, it's, it, you know, it comes in handy as well. So Lynch syndrome is the genetic predisposition to certain types of uh, cancers. Typically, it's uh, one of five mutations, or they call them variants now. Back in the day, I used to call it a mutation. Now I have to call it a variant. I liked being a mutant, by the way. Like, I, 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 I don't too. like being a... Yeah, why do I, I want to be a variant holder? Like, mutant is amazing. It's cool. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, if we're Listen, if we're going to be part of the club, we're going to take it for a ride. And I like mutations significantly better than variant, but because of my role, I do have to call it a variant. Okay. 
It's considered a mismatch repair gene. So the easiest way to explain it is that your body is always repairing itself. It's, it's breaking down and repairing itself. In the instances of Lynch syndrome, with the genetic mutations that, that we have, there's a mismatch repair deficiency. So something, and we're, it's still unclear as to what it is, causes uh, the mutation to kick in and all of a sudden your body stops repairing itself, usually in certain places. And that typically would be in the colon, the gynecological cancers like endometrial cancer, um, but there mm-hmm. are others. So that's the easiest way to explain it. It's uncommon but not rare so i i saw a couple of interviews of you done several years ago where the stat was we say one in 440 and now i think it's still approximated at one in 279 right one in 279 people have lynch syndrome is that the current belief yeah that is the latest approximation um you know again back, going back a ways back to when i was first diagnosed with lynch and i've started checking the research they were estimating somewhere in the neighborhood of one in 500 uh, Americans, uh, as time has gone mm. on and more testing has become more prevalent and more people have become uh, tested and, and and diagnosed, the estimates are down to one in 279 or up to one in 279, depending on how you look at it, which means there's a million of us running around the U.S. and, and most of us don't know about it. And it ain't rare. Uh, it's not even close. It is literally the most prevalent hereditary cancer mutation out there. And, and the fact that it's unknown right yeah. now is, is still just boggling. I mean, I know more about the BRCA mutation than I would have known before meeting Trevor about Lynch syndrome. And I still, you know, I don't know what the numbers are for that mutation, but it's, I mean, it does BRCA seem like you is hear about, more about one in 300. So it's not that far behind so, okay, by any yeah, means. So it's similar. Yeah. Yeah. But still, I, it being that it's so close in how many people it affects, you would still think that you would hear about. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so for as much as we hear about BRCA, I was, I was thinking it was much more prevalent than that. Yeah. That's really interesting. And the the other percentage that we talk about or that you talk about with Alive and Kicking is that the vast majority of people, 95 plus percent of people with Lynch syndrome don't know they have it. Yeah. It's crazy uh, that, that, yeah, you, you literally have that many people who have no idea or or just haven't been and or haven't been diagnosed. I get the sense that that's the crux of your mission is that knowledge is power and that, you know, if we improve upon that percentage, then so the more people with Lynch syndrome that know about it, then the more people are able to get appropriate screenings so that they can either catch cancers early in development or, or get screenings um, and prevent cancer from happening in the first place. You're exactly right. It it, it starts with uh, the knowledge. So, uh, you know, in order for any additional research and, and more work to be done in the field, there has to be more people brought into the fold. So it's literally the tip of the iceberg to start with people knowing about it to begin with. Uh, from there, th- there's so many options you can, you, you, can, you can go with, you know, ranging from preventive surgeries to uh, research to the latest innovations. And, and, you know, we're hoping that, you know, uh, I'm not saying what what you're going through is a good thing, but I'm saying is immunotherapy wasn't available to me a hundred years ago. Um, And, you know, today (laughs) you... Wow, you look so good for your age. He does look good. (laughs) I I have a, I'll I'll let you know my body wash um, regimen later. Um, (laughs) If you look at what has happened over the space in the last few years, it's really been exponential what we've learned and what we've been able to accomplish. It's amazing. So 
the amount of people who can benefit from this is just, it's astounding. The upside is, is huge. And, and, you know, tomorrow is, is, there's going to be something new. And the next day there's going to be something new. Uh, if, I, if I sound excited about this, I truly am because uh, I, I'm of the opinion that we'll, we'll see a vaccine in my lifetime uh, for this. Uh, I, I truly oh, believe yeah. it. Yeah. And so for me personally, learning I had Lynch syndrome, learning that I had this microsatellite instability was really the key to opening up the the current treatment that has gotten me stable over the past year, which is the immunotherapy as you as you referenced. And so not too long ago, that was not even known and it wasn't an option. So it, it's pretty amazing. I'm thankful for that personally. And I'm also thankful to be connected with you and speak out as a patient and someone with cancer with Lynch syndrome. You have an event coming up that I'm excited to be part of, the Living with Lynch virtual patient workshop. This is going to be on October 9th. And, and I want you to give some details on that later on in the show. I'm, I'm going to circle on that. Uh, right. But for those who are listening, you can you can go to aliveandkickin.org. So that's aliveandkickin, which is K-I-C-K-N.org. That's David uh, and, and his wife Robbins. That's, that's Alive and Kickin Foundation website. And then livingwithlynch.org is another website uh, where you can find resources. But I do want to get into your Cliff's notes real quick on your cancer, your cancers, because you're pretty good at cancer, apparently. You've had it three times. Overachieving. Yeah, he's an overachiever. Do you feel like you're going to be pressing on with more just to boost the resume at this point? Well, it's been a while. I I, I have supplemented my cancer journey with other things falling apart. So uh, I don't (laughs) know if that counts. I mean... uh, no. Okay. Then, then. <laughs> no, not for this podcast. <laughs> I, I will say that it's not for a lack of trying um, and, and not for a lack of searching because God knows I go through enough uh, testing to see if there's something growing. Um, well, right. So 1997, 1997, which as, is close to 100 years ago, but you guys so were you were 29 school. years old. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was in high school just to, just to show off. There you go. I knew it was coming. Um, I was finding myself after high school. Um, so you were 29 years old. You had symptoms and you also had the family history. The family history was well documented. My grandfather had colon cancer in his 60s, ultimately had an ostomy and wound up passing away of Alzheimer's in his late 80s, which is technically what you're supposed to have happen, right? You're supposed to die of old right. age. Um, my father had colon cancer in his 40s. Uh, he was, as I like to say, still alive and kicking. Uh, he had some real symptoms. I mean, he was—he lost a ton of weight, was uh, really ashen. He really looked awful by the time he wound up finally getting diagnosed. So again, that was in his 40s, but he was still mm. alive. You know, at, at 29, as much as the family history is right there on the, the front page of the chart, it, it's not your typical thing. So I'm having symptoms. I go to my primary care physician. So you got to remember back again, 1997, HMOs had just started, right? So uh, there was a term that came out called gatekeepers. And the role of the primary care physician under the new HMO rules was to be the gatekeeper and to essentially keep people away mm. from specialists. So uh, I'm not saying this was the exact reason, but I'm saying uh, I, I go to a, I go to my primary care physician. I show right on the front page of my chart says family history of colon cancer. I have symptoms, and yet I'm brushed away without even uh, any sort of rectal exam. Nothing, and, and it was stress. Uh, okay, well, understandable. I 
recently gotten married, not that as stressful, uh, but we had our first son. Um, so he was about a year old. We had just sold the family business. So now we were working for another company and we have just bought a house. So a lot had happened in the last, you know, in, in that last year or two that could cause stress. So I said, fine. So, uh, you know, I, 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 I walk away and a couple of months later, it's still not gone away. The, the symptoms haven't gone away. So it was about a six month period before I was able to finally see a specialist. And, you know, from there, the, the rest is history. It's like, you got colon cancer. So I had my surgery. I had six months of chemotherapy because uh, back then 5-FU was the standard for colon cancer. And it's still the standard for colon cancer. And actually, I don't know if you're seeing it, but I'm still seeing Lynch patients getting treated with 5-FU, even though it's contraindicated at this point. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. See it all the time. Yeah. Uh, I mean, because you're on social media the way I am as well. And you're seeing, you know, people are posting what their treatment is. And you're looking at it and you're like, um have you know have you considered something different have they talked about your other options you can't come out and say on on facebook oh by the way 5fu is contraindicated now that they're three months into their treatment um it's like what do you do um yep so i did play soccer through treatment uh which was pretty funny i used to go for chemo on a friday i would rest on saturday sunday morning i would play and the guys I played with had absolutely no sympathy whatsoever, which was really, <laughs> you know, you're, if you're on the pitch, you're playing. If you're sick, get off the pitch. And uh, so I wasn't allowed to complain. I felt like I was licking sand. But you know what? You, you, you feel like you're licking sand anyway. So uh, there was nothing better than 90 minutes uh, running around and, and kicking the ball, regardless of how good or bad I was. Probably having people treat you that way actually was mentally beneficial that you didn't have all your other world was, you know, talking and being a cancer patient and on the pitch, it sounds like they really weren't going to allow that. So <laughs> pretty much, you know, and Trevor talks, we bring this up as Trevor's a guy, I used to be a guy, you know, none of us want sympathy, none of us want to be babied, we want to be the, the, the strapping young men that we used to be. And, and, yeah, uh, it's it's tough to ask for help. It's tough to feel vulnerable. Uh, it's tough to be human, uh, especially if in your 20s or early 30s or whatever that may be. And yeah, I remember a card game I went to early on into diagnosis. I went to this card game and I was playing with my normal friends, you know, the guys. And and one of them, I could tell, like gave it kind of a look at like he intentionally let me win a hand because I was like a cancer guy. And I looked at it. And I was like, don't you dare ever do that again or I'm going to knock you in the teeth. Yep. <laughs> Because, you know, you just, you want to be one of the guys still. You don't want to be pitied or have, you know. But you still took his money. Well, right. I, yeah. I, I said, after, the, after this hand, don't yeah, do that yeah, again. No, <laughs> and back in the 90s, the genes responsible for Lynch syndrome were not even identified at that point. I was doing some reading about this, refreshing my memory. Sort of. I think MSH2 was identified in the early 90s as a possible driver. But anyway, the point is, like, all those genes were sort of being sussed out and there was no relating that to any treatment and genetic testing. Like, tell us non-science people and those who don't have a background in genetic testing, when did it start to be sort of widespread available? And also, the sad thing is, even now that it's available, a lot of people with colon cancer who are younger still aren't getting it done, even though it's recommended. Is that because of health insurance or because of personal 
It's actually both. And it's a very brief history. So genetic testing, you know, again, we, the three of us, you know, we're biased. We, we're around now. We see what's going on. Genetic testing mm. is a very young space. So uh, as you alluded to, uh, Lynch syndrome, especially, uh, you know, BRCA was, was probably 90s. Lynch was probably closer to late 90s, uh, early 2000, before there was really anything taking place. Mm-hmm. Okay, yep. So it really wasn't until 2007, my second colon cancer, when Lynch was, was, was first offered as a potential and I was diagnosed. And back then, there wasn't next-generation sequencing the way there is now. So it was very expensive, and it, was, it had to be very targeted. So you were looking for like one gene at a time, and the cost was astronomical, 15, 20, 30, you know, the thousands of dollars. That was the wow. number back then. And it also took months to get results. Uh, so it literally took three months to get my results back in 2007. Right now you can get results in under 10 days, probably seven. It was very targeted, very expensive, and very much new. So we'll fast forward to now what's happening is genetic testing is very well offered. So it's offered all across the board. Is it being taken advantage of to its fullest extent? Of course not. Um, uh, and a lot of it stems from previous misinformation. And, not, and I don't mean that in negative, but, but the, really mm. a lot of physicians are still shy about genetics because they're unsure of what to do. They're afraid right. to order genetic testing because they don't know what the results mean. And they don't, they're afraid to rely on someone else like a genetic counselor to explain it to them. You know, genetic counselors your typical genetic counselor is in their 20s and 30s female. Forgive me, but it's 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 90% female. Mm-hmm. You don't have to forgive. Uh, that's oh, great. It's great. Uh, <laughs> but there's only, you know, they're only graduating 400 of them a year, which is uh, which is not enough. But just to, just imagine right. being the stereotypical white coat male in his 50s, 60s physician now having mm. to rely upon a, a, a girl right? Who is, is probably younger than their daughter or their son, right? To explain to them what this means. Not everyone is comfortable with that. They have to put the ego aside. So they don't always do these things. And and I'm not kidding. This is like my life, man. (laughs) (laughs) That's the reality of it. So, yeah. So you have physicians reluctant potentially to order it. So then you have the issue of insurance. Now, again, because of next generation sequencing, the cost of running a test has just dropped and dropped and dropped and dropped so that that $15,000 test, that $30,000 test back in 2007 and the early 2000s, he's 200 bucks now. So uh, I don't want to call it the excuse, but the, the, the answer of I can't afford genetic testing financially um, just isn't there. It should not be there anymore. That all being said, there's that other component of down the line is if you mm-hmm. have genetic testing and heaven forbid you come back positive, your life insurance and long-term care insurance policy is going to go through the roof. So who the heck thinks about life insurance in their 20s, right? You're, you're you know, all of a sudden you have to think about these things and just you know, at that age, you're just not always prepared to say, wait a minute, I need to order life insurance now just in case I come back positive. So when people are dealing with their physicians and things like that, like somebody who isn't necessarily seeing a direct line like you did yourself going to a physician and saying, can we run genetic testing? A very good question regarding genetic testing now. Um, it is so there, there are a number of dynamics that are taking place that can affect this. And in my opinion, they're all good ones. So you've got 
direct-to-consumer testing, right, which we're all familiar with the names 23andMe, Ancestry.com. They have created this interest in genetic testing that wasn't there before, and I think it's a good thing in that it generates the interest. You hope that people don't take those results and just look at it and say, I'm I, I'm not a carrier for anything, obviously. I'm, I'm cured. I'm perfect. You know, a negative result from a 23andMe or an Ancestry.com is not the same as having hereditary cancer testing done by a CLIA-approved lab that is looking for all of the genes affected in the panel. So interest is there. I think it's a good thing. It's the next step that is is the important component. So in the insurance business, if you are a patient of a physician and you're looking to run a genetic test because of a family history or, or some sort of medical history that would qualify you, that works out very well with the private insurance industry. So there are a number of insurance companies that will not pay for hereditary cancer testing unless it's justified. And that justification typically has to be done by a genetic counselor. So it has to authorize you. It has to go through the whole pedigree. It has to show there's a history and what that history may be. And there's an approval process. And I think that's a good thing, right? Again, going back to the original concept of the cost, if you're talking about a couple of hundred dollars to run a hereditary cancer test, you don't need to have a family history to, to, to do it. You do need a physician to authorize it. But if you explain to your physician that you're, you're curious and there is a history, as you alluded to, uh, a grandparent who passed away, an aunt, or whatever the case may be, whatever that history may be, if a physician will authorize it based around your, your request, you could pay 200 bucks out of pocket and get it done. Let's shift, a, if we could, to a parallel conversation around family mm -hmm. history, because one of the barriers going on here is that we don't know our family histories. People don't talk about it. You've talked about this before. Like, People are happy to talk about certain things in their families when it comes to health. But when it comes to, let's say, hmm, colon cancer, you're not sitting around at the, you know, we talked about Thanksgiving becoming a family history day, but you're not sitting around and being like, you know, it's already sometimes awkward. And then you're going to ask Uncle Mark, like, hey, um, so what what cancer did uh, Aunt Esther have? And when did she die and all this stuff? But then the problem is, is that people get cancer. And then all of a sudden, a relative comes forward and is like, oh, yeah, we've had like six or seven people die of that. And they were only 25 and 45. And so this issue of stigma and taboo and talking about it, I think is still a major barrier. Can you talk a little bit about what you've seen with that? Knowing your family history is a tremendous barrier. Um, you know, I, I joke about every major holiday, whether it's Thanksgiving or whatever, uh, you get together, somebody gets drunk and hits on their cousin. So it, it's automatically... Uh, <laughs> I have no cousin, so I am lucky. <laughs> well, you know what I'm talking about. It's, it, there, it, yeah. The family dynamic kicks in. Whatever that family dynamic may be is really going to kick sure. in as soon as yeah. y'all get together and liquor's involved. So might as well throw some, you know, flames in there and, and really beef up the conversation and talk about the family history. Let's get it all out in the open. It's so much fun. But that all being said, uh, you're right. Families don't talk about this. You know, realistically, again, go back in time. People weren't talking about cancer until uh, the breast cancer movement came along in the 80s, right? You know, when, when the pink movement yep. started and all yep. of a sudden it became somewhat trendy to talk about at least breast cancer. And that's still the case. Right. People aren't talking about a lot of other cancers still, but breast cancer has put has really set a very high bar, and I think it's a great thing. That all being said, 
try and piece together a family health history on an, an electronic medical record, and you have another animal unto itself. So, I mean, let's talk about let's talk about health systems, mm. hospitals, right? Have you ever seen your chart? I mean, it, it's you know, it, it's it's just batshit crazy what what's on this chart, right? It's it's um it's scribble, right? So it, yeah. you've got different. It, it's it's all over the place. And as a Lynch syndrome patient, let's talk about us specifically. How many different doctors do we have at how many different hospital systems? Now, maybe where you are, everybody's all under one roof and everybody's happy. And I've got five different hospital systems, right? I've got my GI doctor yep. at one hospital. I've got my oncologist at another hospital. I got my primary care physician at another hospital and my OBGYN is at another hospital. So we all have different charts. I don't actually have an OBGYN. I was just seeing if you were listening. Yeah, I was, and then I, but I didn't want to. I was waiting you know, for you to spill your who coffee. Knows? <laughs> but you get my point. If I was in fact female, um, I would have an yep. OBGYN, and chances are he or she would be at a different hospital than the other five uh, right. physicians that I have, and none of them talk to each other. Yes, I'm in the same boat. Well, that's one of the reasons why we we launched the registry, the heroic registry at, at Alive and Kicking, is is to aggregate that data. So it's a it's a registry. Uh, am I am I allowed to do my shameless plug at this point? We love that, that it. was we my love next shameless that, plugs. That was my next transition. Literally, I was going to be like, so how does yeah talk about the heroic sure. registry? First of all, back up and just explain what that sure. is. So uh, a, a number of years ago, we had the good fortune of starting to work with uh, Sharon Terry's group at the Genetic Alliance. The Genetic Alliance had something called the Peer Platform, which was uh, a platform that was already created. It was designed for patients to be able to upload their own data, share it with whoever they wish to do so, set their own privacy settings. Uh, it was really a, a real force of nature. And we had the good fortune of being chosen as the Lynch syndrome registry. So Robin, as you alluded to, my, my better half. That's for sure. It goes without saying. So Robin essentially tweaked the peer platform to fit the questionnaires that would be appropriate for Lynch syndrome. It went through IRB approval, um, and we launched the Heroic Registry a number of years ago. Again, so this is now this the ability for a patient to take their data and upload it. They can upload their you know PDFs from charts and whatnot, has a whole family history on it. It's all there, and that data can be shared with now family members. So family members can now access it and, and get on there as well. So now we can aggregate a lot more people into the fold. Um, this all being said, it's still not at a point where I can walk into my physician's office, take my data from the registry and give it to them so that they can upload it into their charts yet. That's not that case yet. We'll get there someday. Right now, uh, most EMRs are not accepting data from a patient um, where it comes from them. They only accept their own stuff or from another mm -hmm. hospital system. We'll get there. But right now, most uh, major teaching institutions that uh, have essentially siloed their own Lynch syndrome registry. You know, they have a, a few hundred people in their own Lynch syndrome registry, and they're not always forthcoming about sharing it with other systems in the rest of the world. So we circumvented that and we're agnostic. So I don't care if you went to the, the, the Dempsey Center or Mount Sinai, NYU, whatever the case may be, the data is yours and you should be able to upload it and be able to share it with others out there. And I will say that literally 
uh, 100% of all of the patients who have entered their data into the registry have consented to being reached out to by researchers. And it's already happening. We already have researchers through the UCSF project called the Mosaic Project that are already reaching out to patients directly and, and having conversations. So where do people go? If you're a Lynch syndrome family um, and you want to find out about the registry or participate, do they enter at your site? They do enter it at Alive and Kick, and it, it is on there. However, I will I will stipulate that currently uh, we're in the process of migrating the uh, the platform. So it's the, 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 the registry will still be there. It's migrating from the peer platform at the Genetic Alliance over to the Luna DNA platform. So it actually is down right now. So it's been a few months that we have not really been promoting it. It's like anything when you transfer a platform to another, you never know what it's going to be like. And what we're trying to avoid is an onslaught of people who would have to enter their data today only to have to re-enter their data tomorrow. And and so maybe one of the things people can do is um, if you, well, and I would, <laughs> I would suggest this to anyone. If you have Lynch syndrome or if you're a family member of someone with Lynch syndrome, follow Alive and Kickin'. You can find them easily on social, like follow them. And I'm assuming when you have this new platform going and you're ready to accept folks, you're going to let people know. Absolutely. Great. What year did you found the uh, Alive and Kickin'? It was at the end of 2011, the very beginning of 2012. Okay. So you're coming up on a decade doing this. Tell us about the top priorities right now for your organization. The three biggest priorities are coming to fruition. The first one was the registry. We always wanted to have the registry and uh, we did not have the means to do it ourselves. So uh, being able to tap into what the Genetic Alliance and, and the Luna DNA was doing, that's been huge because it takes away a lot of cost and a lot of labor that we just don't have the, the capabilities of doing. So that was first. The second was mm-hmm. The living with Lynch, as you know, I was in the colander. I was part of the colon club, uh, literally uh, as we were launching Alive and Kicking. And for those unaware of the of the colon club, it's it's a you know it's an organization that is uh, they do a uh, something called the colander uh, every year, which is a calendar of men and women diagnosed with colon cancer before age fifty. So obviously I fit the bill. I have you pinned up on my wall and not in a weird way, but you're just there. No, it's weird. Ha- have you seen it? <laughs> no, I was just joking. <laughs> Listen, I was Mr. January 2012. Um, <laughs> I will say this. The, I really liked how the picture came out. Um, I did. It was, it was weird that I was the first one who got my picture taken. So the proofs, if you will, got posted. And I think some people were kind of nervous after mine because it came out really good. Not that I looked attractive. It was the picture itself that was really cool. Um, anyway, you can look that up. So I always wanted to do... You set the tone. To an extent. And the tone was yeah. nice. Um, <laughs> so I always wanted to do a retreat the way the Colon Club did. So the, it, the, the calendar part was great, but... Having all the people together, the bonding experience was something that was the biggest part of my takeaway. Um, I wrote about it for the Colon Club. I, I felt like uh, the weekend that we spent together was just amazing. Um, the stories mm. that you share um, for good and, and, and bad and, 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 and the tears that you shed when you're going away. It's like it's like summer camp. Uh, at the end of summer camp, with the difference being you're just not sure if you're ever going to see these people again because they're going That's through right. so much stuff. And I always thought that was great. And I always wanted to take that and also build the ambassadorship from it. So there are those who will get in the colon club and who will 
become ambassadors for life afterwards. And there are those that are going to go into the Colon Club and do their thing, and they're going to disappear, if you will. It happens. What we wanted to yeah. do for Alive and Kicking was the exact same thing. We wanted to get a group together, get the stories, get it on camera, really tell the story and groom the next group of ambassadors. I wanted better storytellers than me and especially a more diverse audience because at the end of the day, I am still an old white guy. So if you have more diversity and inclusion in your ambassadorship, you have a better story to tell. Um, and I always liked their story better than mine. So that was, that was the second component that we really wanted to focus on. We got it off the ground last year with, with the, uh, living with Lynch workshop that we did with MD Anderson last year, this year we're going virtual for obvious reasons, but the goal, uh, would be next year, uh, in person at Ohio state as was planned this year. So that was the second focal point is the ambassadorship is really getting the words out there so that guys like you, Trevor, and, and everyone else can be the spokesperson for Lynch syndrome and alive and kick and moving forward. The third component is, is really, I, I want to say it's a Herculean undertaking, but I think it's doable. And it's really twofold. The, the one is, and, and they both flow in with the Luna DNA platform, which is why we're so excited about it. Research can be done through Luna DNA, but also if you look up Luna DNA, it's hard to explain, but Lynch syndrome patients have data that is, you know, really worth um, a lot to researchers and companies. Um, so Luna DNA's platform actually uh, almost, and I, I don't want to butcher it, but almost commoditizes the data so that patients can benefit as well as Luna DNA benefits from the research being done. Mm -hmm. So I'm of the opinion, uh, and we're of the opinion that having that will move the needle and get more people into the fold because they're going to not only see the benefit of, you know, what this brings to the family and, and prevention and all this stuff, but actually helps them out um, in more ways than one. Incentives. If you can bring a personal incentive, you know, unfortunately, more now than ever, human nature, sometimes there's a real singular point of view. And not everybody has what both you and Trevor have, whereas how can my experience benefit others? And so if you're trying to use and gain a lot of data that would actually within your lifetime, how people are treated for these things, you need a mm. huge pool to draw from. And you can't just pool, you know, draw from the pool that's going to step up and say, I want to I want to help right. or I want to make sure that the people around me know as much as they can. You, you need to incentivize. It's unfortunate human nature. <laughs> yes. And, yeah. and so I'm, I'm very cognizant. So, you know, if you follow me on social media, I make it a point to try. It's always a balance between being upbeat and positive to an extent, I guess, proud of, of what you've been able to accomplish and, and, and my family life. Uh, you know, I, as I like to say, I have three above average kids. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I'm okay with where I am in life. Um, but there are a lot of people who are going through a lot of stuff. And it's not right. just Lynch syndrome, it's just in general. Um, and I'm of the opinion that this new platform could provide that incentive uh, to offset those who don't necessarily have the means to just be altruistic and, and right. want to, they want to do something. They just want something out of it. And, and I don't blame them. But, Ray and, and patient, oh man, patients, that data, like why should it just be valuable to everybody else? Like, you know, 
uh, to Wall Street and and huge companies. Like, right, yeah. this, this is your data. You should you should get a piece of it too. If if everyone else is going to profit from it, it's literally a piece of you. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Well, and this is part of that larger conversation of cancer patients just being so willing to just share your story, share your data, like because it's the right thing to do. And and I think that's been nurtured by people who would profit off you. Um, yeah. So I'm saying that, you know, patients have experience. We have expertise. We have data. We should be compensated for that. Bottom line. Yes. We're going to move on very quickly to the gauntlet of random okay. questions. I'm very excited speed about round. this. But um, talk about the speed <laughs> round. Talk about the Living with Lynch workshop. October 9th, yes? And how do people get involved? So Living with Lynch is October 9th, as you alluded to. It's a, about a four-hour session. Um, we have patient speakers, which are great, including you. We have hey. uh, physician speakers and genetic counseling speakers. So we've essentially paired up a genetic counselor with a patient or a physician with a patient so that uh, the conversation they have with each other will be pertinent. Um, very excited about that. And of course, this is open to patients, genetic counselors, physicians, pretty much anybody who has an interest. We have somewhere close to 350 people already registered, which is great. Awesome. We do have a sponsor, but we're always looking for more. So that's great. Um, yep. Very excited about that. And, and again, a lot of that content will be housed on the microsite, the livingwithlynch.org uh, microsite, um, where we have the current group uh, from the videos from last year. And Colon Cancer Coalition, they're a partner with you on this? Forgive me, yes, absolutely. So uh, we have developed a a wonderful relationship with the Colon Cancer Coalition. They're the group that also runs the Get Your Rear and Gear 5K races. So we have partnered with them. So Alive and Kickin' is the national partner for the Colon Cancer Coalition so that whenever they do uh, a race or any, they provide any sort of material, there's always the Alive and Kickin' uh, Lynch Syndrome material that is put out there. They've really just been a great group uh, working with us. Uh, they worked with us uh, last year on the the first of Living with Lynch. And what's very cool is, I mean, for those who who were unfamiliar with Sarah DeBoard, who was just, you know, just an absolute mm. force out there for the colon cancer world, uh, who unfortunately passed away. She was out to Living with Lynch and she was coordinating it. And, and you know, for her to say to, to, to us, to Robin and me, that the that she really didn't get the Lynch syndrome world uh, until that weekend. And it was so powerful being around the families because it, it's more than just one person. Obviously, it's, it's the whole family dynamic. It yeah. really made a difference to her. And, and that meant a lot to us. Absolutely amazing, mm-hmm. inspiring person, Sarah, uh, to, to everyone in, in our community. Yep. So let's transition from serious talk into something completely different. Awesome. Before we do the random questions, though, we do have to acknowledge one elephant in the room here. And it's not cancer today. It's David's voice. Now, for anyone <laughs> listening to this episode, they're probably thinking, this guy has this gravelly voice. It's just, it's like perfect for voiceovers, which I'm going to get mm-hmm. into in a second. But also, also like when people talk to you, in, unless they're with you in person and get your facial cues, it could be hard to re- to recognize when you're, jo- there's like that scene, Joe Pesci in Goodfellas, where he's, he's joking around and then he's not joking around. And with you, I'm like, is David being serious right now? Or is he doing one of his David mm. jokes? So uh, let's acknowledge the voice and the fact that y- you have these uh, a unique talent with it. Uh, thank you. 
<laughs> no, but you you've literally done voiceover work. Now, he, now you've just made him insecure to talk because now he's he's just like. <laughs> no, the, so the, the true story. Oh, I doubt that. So <laughs> we talk about Robin all the time being so much way above my pay grade. Uh, true story. The girl was blind as a bat when we met in 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 college. So uh, I'm convinced that she married me because of the voice. She had no idea what I actually looked like. <laughs> so um, after she t- for for when she turned 30, she decided she wanted to get LASIK surgery because she was her, her eyesight was so awful. So I actually had to renew our vows before she had LASIK surgery. I was going to say, how long did you delay <laughs> you got, you that surgery? Yeah. yeah, you just like <laughs> she was very disappointed uh, after she saw what I looked like because I sound much more attractive than I actually am. Oh, man, I love your voice. It's beautiful. And you are an attractive man. And in fact, you had some amazing <laughs> hair. Like, I've seen some photos of you from the day. The you rocked the, You rocked the mullet. Oh, yeah, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should post some. We're going to have to well, dig some of those up and post in, them. So you should just bring it back. I mean, like, I've I've seen, I think I think Miley Cyrus is now uh, bringing it back. So, you know. I have a mullet wig. Nice. So, <sighs> yeah, true story. So, um, it was in 2009, right before I was supposed to have my kidney surgery because I had I had a, a very small kidney tumor. I we went to New Orleans where we went to college. We went back to New Orleans and went there for Mardi Gras. I'm like, if I'm going to lose a piece of kidney, I might as well earn it, right? So, yes. <laughs> um, while I was there, I grabbed a mullet wig and uh, in Bur- on Bourbon Street, and also uh, brought back some Mardi Gras beads. So if you've seen the pictures, <laughs> there I am after kidney surgery. I'm in my hospital gown, you know, resting easy. I got my mullet wig. I got Mardi Gras beads hanging from the IV pole. <laughs> All right, it is time. You, have, you, ha- you can no longer avoid the random questions right. that are about to come at you. Number one, would you rather go back in time to meet your ancestors or travel to the future to meet your descendants? Future. Number two, who is your celebrity crush? Oh, goodness. Um, <laughs> There's so many. Just go through them all. Shania Twain. You know, you'll settle. Oh. Shania Twain. Wow. I'm an 80s yeah. girl. Kicking it old school. Absolutely. Um, I think she's 90s, so give yourself give yourself at least that decade. <laughs> what actor would play you in a movie about your life? Oh, we've already been through that. Um, oh, goodness. What's the guy's name from... Uh, he's... He, Come back Super handsome, charismatic. When you say we've been through this, I'm like, do you, is this something you have, yeah. like you and Robin go yes. over? Like who, who would play you? Yes. <laughs> see, I can't see a physical person, but uh, your voice reminds me of, I don't know if you know who John H. Benjamin is. He's the voice of Archer uh, and oh, yeah, some, Archer. some other things. And uh, you, you could do that no, just for voice work. It's not the same. <laughs> no. Um, um, He's the guy from uh, he was he was the he was the lead in Phantom of the Opera. But he's remember the movie P.S. I Love You about the, no. the guy who uh, he he has the brain tumor and he he leaves his wife. Uh, oh, Adam Sandler. Oh, no, not Adam Sandler. <laughs> oh crap. Oh, you know what? We I have I have. You She's keep, gonna look it up. Go, We're gonna go move to next, on. Yeah, move to the next one. And I'll go, right, yeah. But I will say Holly Hunter maybe for Robin. That works. Uh, Jennifer Gardner was gonna be her her. Oh, her as okay. Well. There you go. There yeah. you go. Oh, he's going for Gerard Butler. Gerard Butler? Yes. <laughs> he was going to be That's me in a- the movie. That's aspirational. We like aspirational picks here. Yeah. I like it. If you were arrested, what would your friends and family assume that David Dubin had been booked for? <laughs> Peeing in public? <laughs> right now, I think everybody, because everybody's afraid of public restrooms, I feel like everybody... <laughs> I feel like that's, yeah, I'm totally with well, you. The, yeah. it, as someone who went to college in New Orleans, that was the first thing you learned uh, when you get there is that you will be, if you pee in public, 
they will arrest See, you. See, growing up in Vermont, that is yeah. not that would not be good for me. Last question. Okay. If you could only choose one weapon to use during the zombie apocalypse, what are you going to use? <sighs> oh, I have no idea. Flamethrower. Flamethrower. Oh, nice. Flamethrower and and some type of blade weapon are my two personal favorites. So you've just uh, you've earned another 10 bonus points. Ding 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 ding. Uh are Dave, we no longer asking the pizza question? I, I know, need to I'm, know this up front if we're no I'm longer asking, asking the question. I'm asking the, pe- in the front. <laughs> I'm asking the pizza question occasionally. I just, I wanted to give it a rest. Like, oh. I feel like I, I've beaten that horse so badly. I need to give it a rest. But now that you've brought it up. I, well, I have to bring it up because one, now I'm curious. You created a curiosity in me. It's your own fault. So it? we have a crazy debate in the howling place about pineapple on pizza. Mm. Yes or no. And he's from New York. He's so, from, I mean, like, he's I from New like... Jersey, right outside of New All York. Right. So just give it, give him space on this one. Um, well, there are two things. One is, it, so it's a no for two reasons. One is, it, it yes. is a no. Um, and the other <laughs> is, I used to work at Chuck E. Cheese's. And oh, people no. used to order it. So um, that, that makes you, it a you double. You know one. how that pizza's made. Oh, oh goodness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, the most important thing out of your mouth in this entire conversation was the fact that it's a no on pineapple pizza. Take see, that howling place, see, people. you just, you got your redemption. I know, I did. You need to ask the question all the time. David Dubin, <laughs> uh, Lynch syndrome, OG, role model, hero. Thank you so much for joining us on the Man Up to Cancer podcast. My pleasure, man. Thanks for listening to the Man Up to Cancer podcast. If you want to get behind our mission, you can connect with us, subscribe to our email list, and check out our other content at manuptocancer.com. And if you know a man struggling with the isolation that cancer can bring, let him know about us. The Wolfpack doors are always open.